morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. I don't know how you feel today, but I am happy. I am happy because I have the Word of God in my soul. And the Word of God says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. And for those of us who have been loading the truth into our souls for a really long time, the crises that we're experiencing in the world right now kind of roll off our, our shoulders like water rolls off a duck's back. Why? Because at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. He is the Jewish Messiah. And all of us who believe in him have eternal life. We have the resurrection life, and we will live forever. And so nothing bothers us. Nothing like this bothers us. It's, uh, it's something that we don't like. It disrupts our, our mojo a little bit, but it doesn't bother us. Those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And as Christians, we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. And one of the things that I love about the Lord is he never turns his back on anyone, and he's certainly not going to turn his back on believers, his believers in times of trouble. This may have sneaked up on us, but it did not sneak up on him. He is omniscient, he knows all the knowable, and a billion years ago he made a perfect provision for all of us individually and collectively in this matter. He is a person. He is not a thing, and he is not a concept. And just as we would do with any person that we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the daily study of his word. You can't know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. The Bible is the exact thinking of the sovereign God of the universe. I don't care what anybody tells you. It is not a bunch of stories. It is not a bunch of allegories. It is not a bunch of anecdotes. It is the exact word-for-word thinking of our Lord. And everything that was written in the Bible was dictated to the men who wrote it by God the Holy Spirit, word-for-word, without doing anything to modify their will or their personality. So we have a source of truth that cannot be beaten. Well, the world is in crisis. Here in the United States of America, the crisis is severe, hard-hitting, and frankly, it's shocking. People who sell insurance and other investments always have a line they throw around in a cavalier manner when they're selling. They say, if this investment goes bad, then the whole U.S. economy has gone bad, and then all of us are in really big trouble. Yet none of them and none of us ever envisioned that such things could actually come true in our lifetime. At, at least we wouldn't think that these things would come true unless we knew what the Word of God has to say. And the Word of God says that events like this would be a certainty. At some time in our lives, all of us have lost jobs. All of us have been hungry. All of us have lost money in investments. All of us have been thirsty. All of us have had our 
movements restricted by some crisis. All of us have been sick. All of us have spent prolonged time at home. All of us have had too much month at the end of the money. All of us have wondered if we were going to have enough money to make it through the year. All of us have been out of toilet paper. All of us have encountered natural disasters. All of us have had dirty, germy hands. Yet none of us ever envisioned that all of these things could happen simultaneously, and especially not in the United States, the land where dreams come true. Never could we have imagined this nightmare coming. And people are scared to death. Fear is rampant. People are reading things, and everything they read makes them more and more scared. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is that you have to check the source of the things that you're reading. And you cannot automatically give something you're reading credibility just because it was on television, just because it was on the radio, just because it was on the Internet. And that's what people do. They read these speculative articles by these uh, quote-unquote think tank people who don't know jack about what's coming up. But the easy thing to say is it's just going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Of course it's going to get worse and worse and worse because that's the plan behind this whole thing that it would continue to get worse and worse and worse, and it would be more and more and more dependent. And so this is just something that none of us ever anticipated would ever come true, and here it is. It's here, so we're going to deal with it. We are not going to be scared to death. Over the past two decades, we have voluntarily surrendered our right to privacy. We have voluntarily allowed ourselves to become obsessed with electronic devices, We have allowed our children to be obsessed with electronic devices. We have allowed electronic devices to take over the teaching of our children. And our children spend more time with electronic devices than they do with us. Some electronic devices that we have even record everything we say in our homes. And we think it's cute. We have ignored the lack of objectivity from news media in such a way that they feel free to propagandize us with falsehoods. We have allowed a few companies to become powerful enough to control the information flow. When I first started out my broadcasting career, you could own seven AM radio stations, seven FM radio stations, and five TVs. And that rule was set up so that no one company could control the information flow. Now, there are no such rules. So one or two people can control a a conglomerate of radio, TV, and media outlets and then propagandize in any way that they want to, and that's exactly what's happened. We have treated church as optional. I don't have to go to church. Of course you don't have to go to church, but where are you going to get the truth? So... We treat church as optional, and instead, we have replaced taking in the truth with so-called pleasures. Oh, I want to be with my family. Oh, there's a football game on. Ah, blah, blah, blah. And anyone who was warning us about the dangers of such an approach to life, anybody who was telling us, you better be digging a well before you get thirsty, Anybody who was telling that, someone like me, was met with these pseudo-concerned looks while face-to-face. 
Oh, yeah, wow, Pastor. That's such a really good point. As they go right back to the phone right in front of my face. Then in the background, they're talking about the things that I'm saying to them with disdain. Can you believe this guy is so freaked out about us using the phone? And it's funny because about 10 years ago, people would actually take it seriously. And then five years after that, they would not take it seriously. And then five years after that, they would look at me like I was a dinosaur. Well, now we have been put in a perfect position where our obsession is with this device. There are organizations who control the information flow. And they are telling us exactly what to think. And we are, we're loving it. Why? Because we don't want to read books. We think everything, we, you know, because when you read books, you develop vocabulary. When you develop vocabulary, you have the ability to think. But we don't want to do that because that's a little too much work. So we just get our soundbite data. You know, uh, the economy is tanking at a much faster rate than ever imagined. Okay. But this stuff that's happening right now, this is not new. This has been planned since 1952, and there is a group behind all this that is trying to to create one world government, one world religion, one world currency. And we know from our study of the Word of God that they will be successful. We know that. This is not a surprise. Nobody should be surprised about this. What, what we should be surprised at is we never thought that was going to happen in our lifetime. We thought that God didn't like the millennials, and so they were going to get it, but not us. Well, here it is. And, you know, people's uh, retirement fortunes that they've put aside, some fortunes, some barely enough, are disappearing in three weeks' period of time, down a third. And so, you know, I, my, my philosophy is this. You know, I got an outfit, and I got this, and I got a little money to keep this clean so I don't stink for a little while. And so that's all I need. And I've been looking around my, my home and all the beautiful things that I've gathered up in my home and looking at it and says, you know what, this, this stuff doesn't really mean anything. And... You know, you think it means a lot, and then all of a sudden the crisis like this happens, and you find out what really means something, and it's not the stuff. So here we are in a time when the nest has closed in to blot out the sky. The economy is deteriorating faster than expected. People are getting sick. People are confined to their homes. Businesses are shutting down. We can't work. People are losing their jobs in record numbers and and hightailing it to the unemployment lines. Access to stores is being restricted. Access to our assets, including cash, is being restricted. At first, just a little bit, and soon, a whole lot. And we are being encouraged to distance ourselves from each other. There is no place to gather. All the things we enjoyed as avocations, sports, movies outside the home, restaurants, have all been taken away. The government we elected to protect us and to guide us is in a panic, and as a result, they have become more afraid than we are. All the news is bad. 
For those of us who are spiritual, however, for those of us who have a relationship with the Lord, for those of us who have been storing the Word of God in our souls for quite a while, we have a different worldview than the rest. Yet our countenance and our mindset is affected by the chaos around us. I was just sitting thinking, you know, about uh, just last night, I was going through just a list of faces in my head of people that I love. And I just picked up the phone and started calling some of them and leaving them messages, you know, because I may never see these friends again. And that disturbs, that's disturbing to me. But that's where we are. Well, at Bra Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God. And we teach it from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective, not from man's perspective. So as you hear today's lesson, you are not going to be hearing my opinion as usual every week. I don't stand up here to give you my opinion because my opinion and $2.40 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. But they will be handing it to you with tongs. They will be reaching out, and they will ask you how many sugars you want because they're not letting anybody touch the sugar, so they have to hand the sugar to you. And I say, okay, well, I'll just go in my house and make my own Starbucks coffee for $0.10 a cup because at Starbucks, the cup probably costs $0.07. The coffee costs $0.03, so I'll make my coffee at home, and then I don't have to be uh, insulted like that, that they somehow have the... Uh, the, the corner on healthy human contact, but I don't. But I understand what they have to do as a business. So here, you're not going to hear my opinion. What you're going to hear is the word of God. You're going to hear about this crisis from God's perspective. You're going to look at this through God's eyes. Because if you don't, if you look at these things that are going on in the world today from your eyes, you have no choice but to be down, to be depressed, to be robbed of hope. And yes, your money will run out. Yes, you're wondering what will happen when you can't pay your mortgage or your rent. Oh, I'm sure Chase will be very understanding. (laughs) They're not going to be understanding. And you're wondering what's going to happen. Well, really, when you think about it, the person who loans you the money has the problem. See, you don't have the problem. The person who loans you the money has to get the money. And if you don't have it, they can't get it. They have the problem. And they have, you know, the wealthy people have a lot bigger nut than poor people do. There are a lot of homeless guys today who are really happy because they don't have a mortgage. They don't have, they're not worried about anything, honestly. The people who got mortgages, they're worried. So, look, let's relax here as believers in Christ, can we please relax? Because God is still in charge of the universe and you are very important to him. And so in today's lesson, that's what I want to share with you. And I want you to listen to this lesson every single day. I see this is the great thing about crisis. I can be prescriptive now and you just have to take it. Like, a month ago, if I told you, I want you to listen to this lesson every day, you'd look at me and say, man, that's a football game on tomorrow. I ain't listening to nobody's lesson every day. Who you think you are? Well, when you hear this lesson, you're going to want to listen to it every day because this lesson is a lesson of hope. 
And that's what Barah Ministries is all about and has been about. Just didn't just get about it. We've been about it. And that's what? Putting hope in your soul so that when you go out and spend the other 110 hours, waking hours that you spend outside of Barah Ministries, that you will have hope. That you will not be paying attention to human perspective on this because your God, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is in control of the universe. And nothing happens without his, uh, his permission. So we search the scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for mankind, and about his personal plan for each one of us. And we are here to look at our lives from his perspective. We are here to learn to enjoy the sphere of grace and forgiveness and unconditional love in which we stand, especially in the midst of complete chaos. So welcome. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands in our soul forever. This is one of the things that you will take with you when you leave here. Your body will go into the ground or into a furnace to be cremated, but the word of God in your soul and spirit will go with you to heaven. The word of God stands and endures forever. It is a wealth. It is a treasure that cannot be taken from you at any time. And that is amazing. Today's Bible lesson, what does Jesus want his believers to know in times of crisis? What does Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, the sovereign God of the universe, want his believers to know in times of crisis? Well, for this week at least, we are interrupting our study of 1 Corinthians to reflect on what the Lord has to say to his believers in times of confusion and crisis. And when I started to write this lesson, the, the 17 pages happened before I could even blink. Because the Bible is just chock full of things that the Lord is saying to us to handle times of confusion and crisis. Those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ remember Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, reminding us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, and he is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. And the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. What that means is that nothing happens in the world without the Lord's permission. Nothing happens in the world without the Lord's permission. So what do we need to know about our God at a time like this? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, Our God the Father is not a God who is the author of confusion. Our God is not the author of disorder. But he is a God who is the author of peace. He has nothing against us believers in Christ. Peace, as in all the churches of the saints, and you, if you're a believer in Christ, are a saint. You are no, no longer a sinner. We were born sinners, but when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saints. When every one of the guys who was writing in the New T Testament was talking, opening a letter, they said, to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Philippi, 
to the saints at Galatia. Did not say to the sinners there. Why? Because they were talking to believers in Christ. You are saints in union with Christ, redeemed, reconciled, justified. You have gifts that stagger the imagination. You are sanctified. You are set apart for a set of privileges that would blow your mind if you could even hold one of them in your head. So if you see confusion in the world, just know that God did not author that. Of course, God will be blamed for all of this, even by atheists who think there is no God. Allowing this chaos does not make God the author of it. God has done his job in peacetime. He has been offering the word of God to edify our souls. He has been offering the word of God to stabilize our souls. And each of us have exercised a choice to either take in the word of God or to reject it by considering some other use of your time most important. And most of us have rejected it. God has commissioned people like me to provide you with his truth. So I agree with Paul's assessment in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, Finally, my brethren, brethren is a reference to believers in Christ, so Paul is talking to the believers in Christ at Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in union with the Lord. That, you, know, you can't even imagine what the Greek sentiment is in the Koine Greek of the New Testament for that word rejoice. But if you, if you just saw a standing ovation in the stadium where 100,000 people were absolutely screaming at the top of their lungs, that's what Paul is saying here. Rejoice in union with the Lord. To write the same things over and over again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. That's what we pastors do. We tell you over and over and over again that you are in union with Christ, that you are a saint. And you look at us like we are Martians. You don't believe any of that crap. You believe all the stuff that your flesh is saying about how stupid you are, about how bad you are, about how wrong you are. You, that you get a cup of coffee and you stir it and you knock the coffee over and spill it. And what do you say right away? I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. I can't believe I made a mistake in saying, wow, what a peculiar thing for a saint to do. Wow, somebody in union with Christ can actually knock over coffee. Isn't it amazing that somebody who's redeemed and reconciled and expiated and atoned for can make a mistake occasionally? I think I'll go get a rag and wipe up the stuff. (laughs) Look, to teach the same things over and over to you until you believe them is not a problem for me. And now that the crisis is here, I got your attention, don't I? Yes. Now you're listening. And I agree with the Apostle Peter's assessment in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, which say this, Therefore I, Peter, will always be ready to remind you of these biblical things, even though you already know them. That's what I do. I come and remind you of stuff that you already know every week. And even though you have been established in the truth of the gospel message, which is present with you, believers in Christ. Verse 13, 2 Peter 1.13, I, Peter, consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, and that is his physical body, to stir you believers in Christ up by way of 
reminder. So welcome to a place where you can be reminded that your God is in control of the universe and that your God has you personally in mind by name and that he will provide for all of your needs before this crisis, during this crisis, and after this crisis. There has never been a time in the history of the universe, in the history of all divine history, when God didn't have you individually personally in mind by name. And he is thinking about you right this minute, and he has provided for you in the past with the result that you will always be provided for forever. And so I don't care what your bank balance says. I don't care what your job situation is. I don't care what you think about what's going on in the world. If you are a believer in Christ, you are guaranteed by the sovereign God of the universe of this one thing, that you are critically important to him and you are absolutely provided for, and there is no question about it. There is nothing to debate. That is going to happen no matter what, because God would never consider going back on his word. And so we rest. We are so happy. Today, we are so happy. Well, you've heard me talk for a while. Let's hear some music. During trying times, a great question to ask yourself is, what is your source of truth? Where do you go on your little device? Who is the human that you're listening to? Because our God encourages us to do something different than that. John chapter 16, verse 13 reminds us, of the Lord's provision as a source of truth. Here's what it says. It says, but when God, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you believers in Christ into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, and he'll hear it from the Lord, because the Bible is the mind of Christ, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Well, here's Casting Crowns to remind us who to listen to during a crisis, reminding us of the source in their song, Voice of Truth. Climb out of this boat and then Under the crashing waves To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And is holding out his hand But the waves are calling out my name And they laugh at me Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed the ways they keep on telling me Time and time again Boy, you never win You never win But the voice of truth Tells me a different story The voice of truth Says do not be afraid And the voice of truth Says this is for my glory 
strength it takes to stand before a giant With just a sling and a stone Surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors Shaking in their armor Wishing they'd have had the strength to stand But the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me Reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed The giant keeps on telling me Time and time again Boy, you'll never win You'll never win But the voice of truth Tells me a different story The voice of truth Says do not be phone on an endless loop out of all the voices calling out to me i choose to listen to the voice of truth i choose not to listen to the voice of men i choose not to listen to the voice of lies i choose to listen to the voice of the one who is omniscient who knows all the knowable who knows exactly how this whole thing is going to turn out let us pray We are grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. 
Thank you for being a God we can count on in times of trouble. Thank you for your word, which promises a bright future for believers in Christ. Thank you for loving us with an amazing love, unconditional, unchanging, unfathomable. Amid the chaos, we tend to think only of ourselves, Lord. Let our conduct as Christians be a beacon of light in this dark world so that by reflecting you, we lead people to you and to your word, and especially to the good news, the gospel message, that being saved is a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. That's the moment of eternal life. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what does Jesus want his believers to know in times of crisis? What does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? I got up happy this morning. I got up happy this morning because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And I was talking to a really good friend of mine the other day, and he had this countenance. We were on a video chat, and he had the countenance, and he was just down. And I said, what's wrong with you, man? He said, I'm angry. He said, Satan is winning. Satan, the enemy of God, is winning. I said, winning? He already lost. Wait a second. No. Satan is Shaquille O'Neal at halftime in 1992 when the Orlando Magic were playing the Chicago Bulls. The Orlando Magic were up 20. And Shaquille O'Neal wandered off the court, and he was so happy. They had won the first half. He was so happy. And then Phil Jackson walks into the Bulls' locker room, and he said, Boys, we got them exactly where we want them. That's not something that a coach would say when his team was down 20 at the half. He wouldn't come in and say, Boys, we got them exactly where we want them. And so Michael, Jack, Mike, Michael Jordan said, what do you mean? He said, they think they won the game. But in the second half, you're going to come out and show them that you don't win a game until the end of the fourth quarter. The Bulls came back and just beat the absolute crap out of them in the second half. Now zoom to the after-the-game interviews. And they put the microphone in Shaquille O'Neal's mouth, and I'll never forget this. It resonates in my head. He said, man, we had that game won. Man, we had that game won. No, you didn't. No, you don't have the game won when it says a two for the second quarter is over and zeros on the clock. You have the game one when it says four and there are zeros on the clock. And then whoever has the most points wins at that point. Satan hasn't won. He's already lost. He has lost. We already have the victory through our union with Jesus Christ. Satan has not won the game. I don't care how it looks. Don't believe your eyes. Don't believe your ears during this time. You have already won the game because you made one single decision to be in union with Christ. And that's it. The game is over for you because you've already won. And so 
This lesson today, what does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? Well, we're pausing our study of the fourth passage of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth to bring you the good news that comes from crisis like this. Here's what the Lord says is the pastor's job. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. So when Jesus and his disciples had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon Barjona, do you truly love me more than these other disciples love me? Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Now, why was he saying this to Peter? Peter had just said, Lord, with you, I will go to, to prison and to death. And the Lord had told him, yeah, you're going to deny that you even know me three times, and then you're going to hear, So the Lord said to him, if you love me more than these, tend my lambs. John 21, 16. The Lord said to Peter again, a second time, Simon Barjona, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The Lord said to him, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep in the Greek means herd them and lead them to pasture. John chapter 21, verse 17, the Lord said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, Simon Barjona, do you love me? Peter was grieved because the Lord had said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You're omniscient. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. My job as a pastor is to lead you to the pasture of God's word. Let these words that you're hearing today be soothing to your soul. And let you take them in over and over again. You can't hear these words enough. Because truly, monetary possessions become irrelevant at a time like this. What is most important is our relationships, and especially our relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am so grateful to be the pastor of a church that is small and intimate, and we have deep, intimate, and personal relationships. We care for each other. All the people who were unfaithful, all the other people who don't know how to have other people's back, were weeded out of this church by God. This church has not grown. (coughs) This church has not grown. And you might ask yourself, well, why? Because I sure was asking myself all the time, why hasn't this church grown? Well, because God doesn't need numbers. He's got an intimate group of people who have been taking in the word of God, and we are in a perfect position to be a blessing to everyone around us. That's why. We're nice and small and intimate, and when people in this church are going through difficulties, the people in this church come together. We are a community, and there is, you know, there is no time like now for us to keep together as a community, to share resources, to share assets, to share knowledge, so that we can keep each other on a track of being really positive through this, knowing that our Lord has got us. So, what's most important is our relationships, but especially the relationship we have with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rest in him, and I want this passage... 
to be a passage that you say over and over and over and over and over again to yourself. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. It says this, For this reason I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you believers in Christ, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor be worried about your body as to what you will put on, Don't be worried about how much toilet paper you can or can't get at Costco. Is not life more than food, and is not the body more than clothing? Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. And I want you to actually do that today. I want you to seek out a bird and just watch the bird for a little while. Why? They don't sow. They're not planting anything. They don't reap. They're not harvesting anything. They don't gather into barns. They don't bundle it all up and put it in the barn. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? No bird got up this morning stretching his little wings and flapping around and saying, Oh, man, there's a Christ. You think they're going to have any uh, chicken thighs at Costco? They ain't worried about that. They know that somewhere along their route today there's going to be food because God is that intricate and that detailed that he's going to provide for those birds. You don't even know it when you just peel off the crust of a sandwich you're eating and throw it on the ground. To you, it's just you're just carting something because you're a litter bug. But the Lord knew that that was going to happen and knew exactly the birds who were going to eat each crumb of that thing that you discarded. That's how intricate our God is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Stop worrying about anything, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Matthew six twenty-eight. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they grow in splendor. They don't toil, they don't work, nor do they spin, they don't sew. Matthew 6, 29, yet I say to you that not even Solomon, the best dressed man in the world and the richest man ever in the world, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these lilies of the field. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. So if God the Father so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow dries up and is thrown into the furnace. And of course he does. That's the first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. If God the Father so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. And of course he does. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? That's what's called an a fortiori argument in Greek. If the greater thing is true, that he clothes the grass. Isn't he going to take care of you? Yes. And by worrying, are you going to get anything? No. Take the time off. God's giving you a break. Get some sleep. Get some rest. Relax. Because he's going to pay for everything. He already did. There's a word in the Bible. It's called predestination. And to you, what that word sounds like is beforehand set up the destination. That's not what it means in the Greek. What it means is checkbook in the Greek. He already took his checkbook and paid for everything for you. 
It's already set. So relax. And we've seen that over and over and over again. And we ignore it. We've seen him do it over and over and over again. He's not showing off. It's not hard for him. He keeps doing it. And he's going to keep on doing it. Matthew 6, 31. Don't worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. Don't worry. Matthew 6.32, for the Gentiles, unbelievers, pagans, eagerly seek after all these things. They make it their whole lives. But your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Knows in advance with the result that he provides in advance all the things you need. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom. Respond to the gospel message. You've already done that. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. And seek his righteousness. What's that? The sanctification portion of your life after salvation. Then what? Seek his righteousness. You do that by learning the word of God, by learning who Jesus Christ is and what he thinks. And all these other things that you need, food, shelter, clothing, will be added to you. You see me every week. I'm clean. I am clean. God provides me with clothes. I was standing in front of the mirror this morning. I was looking. I said, oh, man, he did it again. He's always doing it. That's it. Knows he's color coordinated. Got my hair all just shortened up. Got some eyebrows arching. Skin is tight. About to, about to celebrate my 65th birthday. Don't even look like I'm 40. It's unbelievable. That's God. That's all God. That's not black, don't crack. That's God doing that. He does that because he's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Get in close. Let us see what's up. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow. I don't think you heard me. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6.35, or that was it, 6.34. Don't worry about tomorrow, because each day has enough trouble of its own. We need to realize that we can only take a crisis one day at a time. My pastor Farley, is he, he was complaining because his right leg was dangling, and the, the, the physical therapist was telling him to move his leg, and he couldn't get it moved. I said, you've been laying down for... A week, man. I sit in my chair for 13 hours writing a lesson, and when I get up, it takes me a little while to get a little motility again, too. I don't even understand what you're thinking about. It takes time for the body. My brain is real slow about talking to my butt and telling it to get in locomotion. So, yeah, so he's going to have to learn all over again to have his brain communicate with his foot, move, and then he's going to have to learn how to fall forward again and have his, his body brace him and then fall forward again. He's going to have to learn it again. But the body is so fast. He'll learn it. He'll learn it quickly. So look, as believers in Christ, we live by faith in him in, and in his word. And that's what the, the Bible is. It's his word. He's giving us his word about what he's actually going to do. Our faith is not in things. Our faith does not come by sight. We are not empiricists. And faith 
is never blind. Faith is expressed in something or someone or something after you've done an examination. So if God says he is for us and he does, then who can be successful against us? Nobody. No way, not know how. So rest in this fact. The Lord will supply us with everything we need in his timing. Why? Because he's already done it. He's not in the process of doing it. He's not sitting up in heaven thinking about, let's see, what am I going to give them today? He already did that, those decisions a billion years ago. And he already put it in place before he even created you. They're already in place. And so what's going to happen? They're going to be revealed to you. And you're going to be looking in your wallet and there's going to be nothing in there. The cover's going to be bare. And then it's going to fill up again. Because that's the way he works. And stuff's going to come out of nowhere. Because that's the way he works. He's always worked that way. He always will. Worrying doesn't work at all. We worry when we read the projections. We worry when we listen to the statistics provided by a, by a bunch of geek human beings who are scared to death, who are not omniscient, who don't know all that is knowable, and we let them be our source of truth. They are not our source of truth. God the Holy Spirit is our source of truth. And the voice of truth says, do not be afraid. That's it. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, the Lord tells us, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We rest in that promise and in all the promises of the Bible, one day at a time. The Bible has over 7,000 promises that God and, and with God, it's not a promise like with a human being. I should say it has over 7,000 guarantees because everything the Lord says always comes true. So, yes, the road ahead will be rocky. The Lord will do some shaking, as we learn in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 29. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Hebrews 12, 27. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. We've seen that here in Barah Ministries. He shook some people out of here who weren't on our side. As of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may, be, may remain. What's he going to do? Yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, and that's what happened when we believed in Christ, we got a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God the Father an acceptable service with reverence and awe. What we ought to be revering and what we should be in awe of is that God has made promises and he always keeps them. And you are well taken care of and there is nothing that's going to change. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. And what does he consume by fire? Everything that's not necessary to us. So here you have it. Here's me. Here's what's necessary for me. This, this, and this. That's what's necessary. 
my health, my mouth, and my Bible. And if I'm sick, I'm still going to teach. If I can get any words out of my mouth, I'm still going to teach. That's it. Because this is what matters. And everything else doesn't. Now, we may lose some things during this shakeout. I love my house. It's a beautiful house. I may not be able to keep my house. Chase may come take my house away from me. Okay, take it. And I'm going to live with one of y'all. I'll find one room. I'm going to get three outfits. I'm going to have my shaving kit. And I'm going to find a room somewhere. I'll move in with my computer and my Bible. And that's it. I'm cool. Oh, man. Dang. No more $6,000 a month mortgage payments? Dang. Just live for free with somebody? That's awesome. And I know how to wash dishes. I know how to cook. And I'm a very nice person. And so you can't beat that to get somebody in your house who clean up your house for you, who will cook for you, you buy the food, cook for you, and who will be very nice to you. And every day you wake up and I come running out, good morning, y'all. Yeah, it's just like that. So anyway, ultimately all we need is God and his word because... We'll lose some things during the shakeout, but the things that remain are the things that are eternal. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll see what else our God has to say to calm us during this storm. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. My life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history As another blood-bought Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what does Jesus want his believers to know in times of crisis? What does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? Well, since getting the Lord's word out by means of the Internet is going to be one of the only ways to get the message out, we ask for your continued support to advance the work of our God's kingdom. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. You stick a sock in it, girlfriend. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, which is a worldwide Christian church where real, pe- where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And it's a source of wisdom for everybody. And this week, usually I, you know, last week I talked about fear, and usually I kind of move on to a new subject, but I feel like this week is fear 2.0, so we just got to keep going with it. You know, from just the overall arching thought of fear and worrying about it, my thought was, you know, where do we go? Where We go to the Bible, right? We look for wisdom. And I went to the original guy that was thought of for wisdom, which was Solomon in Proverbs, son of David, and he was thought to be the most wise man on earth. Because I knew Pastor would use all New Testament verses, and I wanted to stay away from those and not have him steal my verse again. So I used Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, and I think it's a great, great set of verses. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You see, because we're not empty like unbelievers. We're full of the power of God. We're full of the Spirit of God. We can't be swallowed up by Satan. And, you know, wisdom is seeing through God's eyes. And this is the perfect time to look through God's eyes. Because when we have wisdom, we can have the proper response to life. We don't freak out. We're not paralyzed by fear. We have the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. And so what we see every day is the wisdom of man. Every day, everywhere. And it's just nonsense. And some of it's true. I mean, we, we have a legitimate right to fear this and be cautious. But there's no reason to be panicked and be paralyzed with fear because when you think about it when you find yourself paralyzed by fear this is not from God this is from this is from Satan and this is his biggest tool he always uses fear and so this is just fear ratcheted up this is just fear on a new level this is almost like a fear that unites us and I think he's messed up this time because we're gonna come together stronger and it may have gone down stocks may have gone down real fast but I feel like they can rock it right back up and anything is possible with our Lord we know that um, so if you find yourself paralyzed by fear, you know it's not from God. It's, it's from Satan. And Satan paralyzes us. But it's not to paralyze us. It's not to stop our decisions. It's to, it's to dishonor God. It's to show that we don't have faith. And people, like Pastor said, we are a beacon right now. People are looking at us how we respond and how we react and what, what we're doing in our soul. Like at work, I've got guys that are looking at me, and I know that they're thinking, man, why is he so calm? Why is he, why is he joking about this? And they're unbelievers, and they don't, they don't have anything to go to. And I've told them, you know, I've told them plenty of times, you have five words from salvation with Christ. But they don't think about that right now. All they're thinking about is toilet paper. And uh, <coughs> the irony is that, you know, these people are, they think they're saving themselves with toilet paper, and now all they're doing is creating a fire hazard in their pantry. 
And I got 10 piles of, you know, 10, 10 stacks of toilet paper stacked up. It's ready to light up, and they have a fire, and they're going to be burnt, burnt out of their house. But, um, you know, fear really is a lack of faith, and we don't have a lack of faith here at Brown Ministries. Christians don't have a lack of faith. We might have it momentarily, but not, not for their life, because we know we don't have to be afraid of sudden fear, as it says in Proverbs. The onslaught of the wicked comes. You know, when wicked people will come, there are going to be some nasty people fighting over toilet paper. And, I mean, you know, they talk about, you know, people are going to have hordes of people coming around trying to steal toilet paper from you or whatever. And we don't have to fear from that because we're not going to, the Lord is not going to let our, our, foot, our feet be caught in that. And we know that we're a beacon and we shouldn't freak out. So it's just like when you plan for a fire in your house. You plan a meeting place and you prepare for it. Right, so we're preparing right now. This is the nation isn't on fire yet, but it's pretty close, and we're seeing a little smoke. So we're going to plan, and we're going to be prepared for it. And the best way to pre- be prepared is through your faith and through coming here. And when you look at the offering a lot, people fear me, right? They fear God. I'm coming over here asking for your money. So giving at the offering, and you fear you fear giving at the offering. That's truly a lack of faith as well. Faith that God isn't going to provide for you. Faith that you can't give, and what you give isn't going to be replenished. Um, you know, so we just need to stick to our, you know, stick to the family. We're a royal family. Let's help each other out. You know, don't be afraid to reach out to any of us if you need help. Pastor, myself, Denise, Larry, anybody. We'll, we'll group together. We'll pool our resources. We'll help you. Nobody's alone in this. And truly, we're not alone because we know we have Christ indwelling us. And, you know, Pastor mentioned something earlier. He said this was a real fear when he said, you know, he's going to be somebody's roommate. You know, that's something to fear, right? <laughs> I mean, talk about a virus. That's like, ah, all right, I'll take some, take some Z-Pack and all that. But wake up and you got Rory at your breakfast table. That might be a real fear of people. So let's keep that on the DL, Pastor. You can stay at my house for sure. <laughs> and we can start that boot camp with the kids, and then they'll have some fear in their life. So in closing, I just, you know, we shouldn't fear. And, I mean, I look at my kids because they're laughing and giggling and joking. And right now, maybe it is the time to think like a kid. And not get too wrapped up in all this and get worried about it. Because like, they're like birds. They're not reaping anything. They're not sowing anything. And they're not worried about anything. They're just like, where's my strawberries? Well, we don't have strawberries. We have raspberries. Well, I want strawberries. And it's like, you know, they're, they're picking and choosing, and we, we don't have to. So I think we just need to group together, and we'll get through this. And just like Pastor said, you know, we can't think all the way down the line. We can't think 10 weeks ahead. You know, he's, he's priority worried about NFL closing down for the next year. That's his real fear, but I think we just have to look till you know tomorrow and just see what you know see what the next day brings. And we know that God is always going to have give us everything we need, and everything we need is right here at Barah Ministries. So when you give, you're allowing other people to have to fill their souls with the truth and to fill their souls with the Spirit of God, and to have that power and not feel empty in these times. And so thank you for always giving and thinking about others and not just ourselves. So thank you.
Today's Bible lesson, what does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? What does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? Well, one of the things that's kind of tough about being as tight a community as we are in Barah Ministries is that we get to know each other a lot. And I don't think there are many people uh, in this world who know me as well as Deacon Denny does. So I, I will tell Deacon Denny that I am absolutely worried about the NFL shutting down. The Arizona Cardinals finally got somebody who can catch, and we got a quarterback who can throw. More than that, Northwestern University got an amazing offensive coordinator. I am definitely worried about NCAA shutting down because I want to see this offensive coordinator help Northwestern put up about 35 points a game. And so, yeah, I'm worried about that. And the toilet paper thing. I'm not worried about the people who are fighting me for toilet paper. I'm worried about the people who are smiling at me, who are in my home, whose backpacks get a little fatter than they were when they came in. My son, he's smiling at me and everything, and then I go in the cabinet, and I have every one of my toilet paper rolls counted out, and then there'll be two or three of them missing, but his backpack's all fat, and he's just smiling and everything, and I said, okay, all right. And he knows that I'm Rain Man about toilet paper, so I don't understand. Oh, def- definitely three pieces missing, so anyway, yeah, you know me well, Deacon Denny. All right, so let's hear some music. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, believers in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for those of us in union with Christ. Every spiritual blessing has already been put aside in the heavenly places. For those of us in union with Christ, Ephesians 1.4, just as God the Father chose us, believers in Christ, to be in union with Christ before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, before we were even created, for what purpose? So that we would be holy and blameless before God the Father. When God the Father looks at you, what does he see, believer in Christ? He sees somebody who is absolutely righteous. He sees somebody who's in union with his Son, He sees somebody who is completely holy, somebody who is completely blameless. Why? Because he made us that way at the moment of salvation. And so when you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you remind yourself that you are righteous in union with Christ, holy and blameless, and stand proud. Well, Laura Story knows the truth. And the truth is the Lord has a ton of blessings in store for his believers, so let's listen to Laura sing her song about her thoughts during one of, during one of the most intense personal crises that a person could ever experience. Here it is, Blessings, Laura's Story. pray for blessings we pray for peace comfort for family protection while we sleep we pray for healing for prosperity we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering and all the 
Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom. To hear, and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is not enough. Today's Bible lesson, what does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? 
What does Jesus Christ want his believers to know in times of crisis? Well, you have to be very careful what you say as a, and that you let go out over the Internet because uh, five offers have already poured in for me to have a room. And so, yeah, so, you know, take that. Yeah, you thought, you thought I'd have game. I got game. I got people who care about me in the world. That's awesome. Thank you for all of you who sent those offers. All right, so how should we as believers in Christ proceed when faced with a crisis like this one that we have never seen before? Not, not in our lifetime, not in the history of mankind. Well, Romans chapter 8, verse, verses 31 and 32 tell us. Here's what it says. It says, what then shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things? We say... If God the Father is for us, and of course he is, first class condition, if, if, and it's true. If God the Father is for us, and of course he is, who can be successful against us? What can be successful against us? And that rhetorical question has only one answer, nothing. Romans 8.32, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but delivered him over as a sin substitute for us all. How will the Father not also, now that we believers in Christ are in union with the Son, not freely give us all things? There it is again. It's an a fortiori argument. If the stronger thing is true, the lesser thing has to be true. If the stronger thing is that God the Father gave his Son to die for you, and he did. God the Father, when you were a sinner, when you were an ungodly, unrighteous, unbelieving sinner, sent his son to die for you and to free you from the slavery of your sin. If he did that strong, powerful thing, you think he's not going to pay your mortgage? You think you're not going to get fed? Yeah, he's going to feed birds, but not you. Because he didn't send his son to die for a sparrow. He sent his son to die for you. Now, if you lose your mind because you're listening to the wrong sources of truth, what you need to do is, first of all, go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is the cure for anything that ails a Christian. The book of Romans in, in, in its entirety is the, the antidote for anything that ails a Christian. Specifically, verse, chapters 9 10 and 11 are the cure for any Jewish person who wonders if God has forgotten the Jews. No, he didn't. He made five promises to Abraham. They will come true. The Jewish race is his chosen race and the, the nation Israel is his chosen nation. What has changed? Nothing. But if you're a believer in Christ and you want to see you want some calm amidst the storm? Romans chapter 8, just read it. You don't even have to exegete it. Just read it. How does it start? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for anyone who is in union with Christ. What a great start. And the ending, which I'm going to share with you too, is a great ending. Things that you should never forget. It's just amazing. So, if... God the Father sent his son to die for you. He's going to take care of everything else, rest assured. Frankly, it's ridiculous 
to think that God would let his son die for us and then think that God couldn't figure out a way to clothe us, to feed us, and to pay our bills. So we rest, taking the life we have remaining one moment at a time, one day at a time, knowing that our God has already provided the victory for us and his provision will keep showing up day by day and will keep pounding us in the face as we feel this faithlessness, as we feel like we're on our own. You're not on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this, But now faith, hope, and unconditional love abide in the sphere of these three. But the greatest of these is unconditional love. Faith, hope, and love abide in the sphere of these three. But the greatest of these is love. In faith, we place our confidence, not blindly, we place our confidence in a God who created us and who has never let us down and who would never consider letting us down. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this, Let us, believers in Christ, run with endurance the race of our lives that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not fixing our eyes on CNN. Not fixing our eyes on Fox News. Not fixing our eyes on the fake media and all the lies and propaganda. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, what was the worst crisis in the history of mankind? The cross. And how does Jesus describe it? For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. The victory after the cross. That's the way God works with Christians. There's always the crisis before the crown. But there's always the crown. What is, what is it to be believers? Faith in Christ? What is it to be believers? Faith in Christ or fear? Take your pick. Faith in Christ or fear? Deacon Denny nailed it. In hope. We are absolutely confident of a bright future because of our God and his word. Hope in the Greek means absolute confidence. It's not, I hope so. You're going to be able to pay your mortgage next, week, next, next year? I hope so. That's not hope in the Greek. Hope in the Greek is, I absolutely have the hope that that will happen. I know it will happen. So in hope, we are absolutely confident of a bright future because of our God and his word. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 say this. As believers in Christ, we also exult in our tribulations. We're ecstatic in the midst of tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Tribulation brings about per perseverance. When you are under tribulation, what do you have to do? Hang in there moment by moment, Romans 5, 4. And perseverance brings about proven character. You persevere enough, and now you have character, and nothing phases you. And proven character brings about hope, absolute confidence. In whom? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the one we have our eyes fixed on. Romans 5.5, 5, and hope in Christ does not disappoint. 
Never. Because the unconditional love of God the Father has been poured out within our hearts through God the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, believers in Christ, as a pledge of our inheritance. Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, after we have suffered for a little while, the God and Father of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself personally perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God the Father's got you. And personally, after you've suffered for a little while, so that you can get perseverance, proven character, and hope, will absolutely perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What's it to be, believers? Hope or despair. I say hope. And finally, let your hearts be filled with unconditional love. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 to 39, an unconditional love toward all mankind. When you're in the line for the toilet paper, let somebody else go in front of you. Care about other people more than you care about you, because that's the way God does. He cares about you first. All right, Romans chapter 8, verses 33 to 39 say this, very calming. Who will bring a charge? Who will bring a formal accusation against God's elect? And who are God's elect? The ones whom God has chosen for the privilege of salvation. He chose you for the privilege of salvation in eternity past before he even created you. That's what it means to be chosen. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God the Father is the one who justifies. What does it mean to be justified? Every believer in Christ is justified. What does that mean? The Father considers us legally righteous, legally completely free from sin, on the basis of our faith in Christ. Because we chose to have faith in Christ, we were placed into union with Christ, a union we can't get out of, and then we were given absolute righteousness plus R, stenciled to our forehead. If you hold up a black light to my forehead, you will see it. Plus R, I am absolutely righteous. I am completely free from sin. I am holy. I am blameless. I am uh, righteous. I am atoned for. I'm expiated. I'm reconciled. I'm justified. And so are you if you're a believer in Christ. And if your church isn't telling you that, your church isn't doing its job. If your church is scaring you, it is not doing its job because there is nothing that believers in Christ should be scared of except the fact that because of the run-on stores, you winos have to drink cheap wine. That's the only thing you should be scared of. But if you don't want to drink cheap wine, come over to my house. I got some bottles. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who will condemn as the righteous judge of the future. He will be rewarding his believers in Christ at the Bema Seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and he will be condemning exactly as they ask for unbelievers who have said they want nothing to do with Christ. He says, okay, now let me tell you how much I love you. 
I love you so much that even though you want nothing to do with me, I set a place aside for you to live, the lake of fire. And you're going there for one reason. You're going there not because of your sins. I paid for those at the cross. You're going there for rejecting a relationship with me, which is not allowed. That's it. So Romans 8.34, who is the one who will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who will condemn as the righteous judge of the future. Christ, who died. Yes, more than that. Who was raised from the dead. That's what separates Jesus Christ from everybody. He was raised from the dead. Nobody else can claim that. The one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father the one who also intercedes for us believers in Christ, as the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father and seeing your problems personally, you by name, he is turning to his Father and saying, Father, help them, please. And the Father says, well, what do you want me to do? Everything. Their needs, all. Interceding for you, just like that. Romans 8.35. So then the question. Who will separate us believers in Christ from the unconditional love of Christ? Or better yet, what will separate us believers in Christ from the unconditional love of Christ? Christ loves you with no conditions. Jesus Christ is not an I love you if you don't sin God. He is not I love you if you jump through hoops God. He isn't. What part of un don't you understand? No conditions for his love. You cannot disappoint God. You have never in your life disappointed God. You've disappointed yourself, but you've never disappointed him. He doesn't even think that way. He doesn't look at you that way. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. That's why we look at things from God's perspective. We're not sitting around looking at man's perspective. Our kids do something wrong. You know, the toilet paper is stealing little rascals. And we look at them. Wow, I can't believe you stole my toilet paper. I'm so disappointed in you. God has never thought that one time about any one of us. So who will separate us, believers in Christ, from the unconditional love of Christ? What will separate us from the unconditional love of Christ? Seven things proposed. Will tribulation separate us? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. A sword? No. Romans 8.36, just as it is written, for your sake, Lord we believers in Christ are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. First century, believers in Christ were lit on fire in the square by Nero. Nero, why did you do that? They said they're the light of the world. Ha, 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 very funny. Well, you're going to get some light down in the lake of fire, buddy, because you never believed in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. But in all these things, we keep on conquering. Look at that. We keep on conquering a continuous process, overwhelmingly, through him who loved us unconditionally, God the Father. 
who loved us unconditionally. Romans 8.38. So what is Paul's conclusion from in the 8th chapter of Romans as he makes the transition to talk about the Jews in chapters 9, 10, and 11? He's finishing up what he was talking about in chapters 1 through 8. Romans, the foundational book of biblical Christianity. And here's his summary. All of chapters 1 through 8 sum up this way. I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, not elect angels, not fallen angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, angelic officers or governments, nor height nor depth, nothing in the heavens and nothing under the earth, nor any other created thing, no being, will be able to separate us believers in Christ from the unconditional love of God the Father, which is a gift to those in union with Christ Jesus. What's it to be, believers? Unconditional love or selfishness? Relax in union with the Lord. Rest in your position in Christ. Love others most by leading them right now to Christ and his word. And most of all, follow Moses' advice to the believing Jews at the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. They had escaped from Egypt. They had been released by the Pharaoh. And they were headed toward Israel. And they were trapped at the Red Sea. And while they were on their journey, the Egyptians realized that there wasn't going to be anybody to do the work. So they sent out the army after the Jews, to bring them back. And they had the Jews trapped at the Red Sea. And the Egyptians were behind them. The Red Sea was in front of them. And two million Jews, most of whom could not swim. And what happened? What did Moses say to them? In Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and watch the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. Forever. Exodus 14, 14 is the perfect advice for us in this crisis. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Lord will fight for you. Keep your mouth shut. He will do it. So what did he do for the Jews? He opened up the Red Sea. They walked right across it. The Egyptians followed them right in, and he closed the water over the top of them. They're still finding chariot pieces and parts in the Red Sea from the Egyptians who you will never see again, not ever, forever. Why? Because they're in the lake of fire. They were unbelievers. Believers aren't going there, so we won't see them ever again. Keep silent in the matter of anxiety. But don't keep silent in the matter of spreading the gospel message to everyone you meet. There's a book. We have a book we can offer to people. The book is called And You Will Be Saved. It's on our website, so you can send a link. We have physical copies of it. It's an amazing book written by an amazing man, Pastor Rory Clark, right there at the bottom. Amazing. A man looking for a place to stay. (laughs) 
share that book with people. They are listening. And don't forget, the Lord has not forgotten you. My older son is named Zachary. It's a Hebrew name. Zechariah. And Zechariah the prophet was sent to the Jews because Zechariah means God remembers. God has not forgotten you. I hope everything you heard today reminds you of who you are, believers in Christ. And now the final part of our work today, I hope it reminds unbelievers of who they are to God. I want them to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study are for the benefit of anyone who does not have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's about a three-second process to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we want you to know that God wants you. And so if I ask you how to get to heaven and you're stammering around, and you, but well, uh, 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 you got to be a good person. And, uh, uh, well, I, I don't think the truth can be known. And uh, uh, uh. the next three minutes will get it absolutely crystal clear to you because you never come to a Barah Ministries lesson without being exactly crystal clear about what it takes to get to heaven. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe and the Savior of all mankind, says there are two destinations for your eternal future either heaven the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, the wide gate and the broad way, described in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through the wide gate. Matthew 7:14 but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life and there are few who find the small gate which road will you choose for your eternal life those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think there is strength in numbers yet it is not true believing what everyone else believes does not save you placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ saves you because he is the only way to get to heaven. There is only one way to get to heaven, and it is the Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God. That's why we call him the Lord. He is 100% mankind, true humanity, just like you and me. And that's why we call him by his first and last name, Jesus Christ. Jesus says he is the small gate. He is the passage, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, and I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life, and no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. It is faith alone in Christ that is the ticket to the resurrection life. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. That is a single moment in time decision with the result that that decision stands forever and ever. Amen. And in the Greek, see, you don't see that in the English, but in the Greek, 
the way that that is positioned, the way the verb is positioned is that, that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is something that happens at a single moment in time and the result is it keeps on standing forever. You cannot, under any circumstance, lose your salvation. Why? Because the moment you believe in Christ, the God, the Holy Spirit, places you into union with Christ, and it is a union you can't get out of, and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. Once God puts you, once Jesus Christ puts you in his hands, you can't get out. Not ever. John chapter 10, verse 28 says it. I give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those on the broad way that leads to destruction place their confidence in liars. And the Lord Jesus Christ warns you about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets, false teachers, who come to you in sheep clothing. They appear harmless. They appear holy. They appear so wonderful. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves out to destroy your eternal future. Who do you put your confidence in for your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, false teachers rip your eternity to shreds by deceiving you with a false gospel message. What's the false gospel message? To be saved, you have to believe in Christ, but you have to do a whole another bunch of stuff too. False. That is a lie. It's believe in Christ and that's all. And nothing else that you do can help. God does not need your help to save, to save you. If you got to help save you, you are in bigger trouble than any virus could ever create. Believe me. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 illuminates the issue. Here's what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, and that is saving yourself by thinking good deeds will earn your salvation. That's a lie. But its end is the way of death the second death in the lake of fire. You cannot save yourself. God's enemy, Satan, is the sponsor of false teachers, false teaching, religions. And you have to be able to discern the difference between God's truth and Satan's lies. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, the word of a true teacher, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, the gospel message, and the truth will make you free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free, so therefore we are to stand fast in that freedom and never again be entangled in the yoke of slavery. So don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you are on. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent. And what does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in his gospel message. What is his gospel message? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which says this, For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the accurate gospel message, 
that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ has the true gospel message, and here is the true gospel message in a verse. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. When you believe in Christ, you get the resurrection life immediately. It is not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. And you must conclude from that that if you end up in the lake of fire, it's not because of something you did wrong. It's not because of your sins. It's because you rejected a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because you put a false teacher's false crap in the way of the pure, simple, clear, only way, one way gospel message. Because everything with God is done in one. There is one way to get to heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And another warning for those who choose the broad way is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven by obeying the gospel message, that's the one that will enter heaven. Matthew seven twenty-two. many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name, didn't we cast out demons? In your name, didn't we perform many miracles? And then I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice a lifestyle of lawlessness. What is a lifestyle of lawlessness? The lifestyle of lawlessness is you thinking that you can save yourself by some act that you have done. That's what a lifestyle of lawlessness is, in a nutshell. You cannot save yourself. And there are a lot of good people who are going to be in the lake of fire. And they are going to be shocked that they're in the lake of fire because they won't be able to believe it because they did so much good. They were giving back and they were so wonderful, but they were so busy that they missed the one thing that gets you to heaven, which is a about a three-second conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. You can get dunked in the Jordan River. You can get oily water poured on your head from now until doomsday. That is not going to save you. You could pour oily water on your kids' heads. That's not going to save them. They have to make their own decision. Religion is not the answer. The answer is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and everyone in your household who believes. You believe in the Son, eternal life. You reject the Son, eternal condemnation. Make up your mind. And when you become a believer in Christ, you sign an insurance policy that always pays off. It is not a bet based on whether you live or die. It's an insurance policy that is an absolute guarantee of eternal life and an eternal future that will have you in a position where all you'll be able to do is have your mouth hanging open for all eternity. I can't believe I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man all the things that God has done for those who love him, who loves God. 
believers in Christ. The stuff he's got planned for you will blow your mind. If I hear you sounding like you're worried, if I hear you sounding like you're scared, we're going to have a problem. And that problem can be settled in the parking lot. What I want to hear from you is how amazing you are. That you are in union with Christ. That you are righteous. That you are saved. That you are justified. That you are reconciled. That you are atoned for. That you are expiated. That you are justified. That you are amazing. That you are a saint. That's what I want to hear coming out of your mouth. I don't want to hear any doubt coming out of your mouth. I don't want to hear any fear coming out of your mouth. Fear is the sin that cuts off thinking. No. Enjoy your rest. Rest in the Lord. The will of God the Father is that you believe in his Son. The will of God the Father is that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say this, for by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Therefore being saved is not a result of works, not as a, a result of deeds you do in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. You cannot boast about doing anything to save yourself. So get yourself on the narrow way that leads to an eternal life in heaven. Right this minute. Tell God the Father that you believe in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for your salvation. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. A single moment in time that lasts forever and ever and ever with zero downside. All right, let's end with a song. Fear is the sin that cuts off thinking. And that's why God discourages the practice. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, I told you earlier, says this. Do not fear, for I, the Lord, am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's June Murphy to encourage you with her song, Fear Not. Commanded you to be strong and courageous Please do not tremble Don't be dismayed I'm God, I'm with you So who can be against you? Stand firm in the truth Do not be afraid Fear not I am always with you. Fear not, I am faithful, tried and true. Fear not, the Holy Spirit will enable you. Fear not, weapons formed against you, I detest. Fear not. You cannot be stripped from my 
giving you my best Fear not I've not given a spirit of fear That leads you back to slavery I've given you a spirit of power and love The more you give in to your fears Hiding from reality A paralyzed prisoner of fear You make yourself victim of Fear not Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for being a God that we can count on. And we thank you for all the things that God the Holy Spirit said to us today to guide us into all the truth. And we thank you for all the places throughout the Bible where you make promises, which when they come out of your mouth are guarantees, that give us the confidence that we can weather this in any storm, because you went and weathered it 
before us because your son is the one who goes ahead of us. He is with us. He will not fail, fail us or ever forsake us. So we do not fear. We are not dismayed. Give us the courage in our souls to take things one day at a time, one moment at a time. Give us the courage during a crisis to put one foot in front of the other. Keep us healthy. Put a force field around us that makes it impossible for germs to penetrate. Do the supernatural things that only you can do. And in one fell swoop of your word, everyone who has this dreaded disease can be healed. And so we count on you, and we count on the miracle that is you, to do your will in this situation. Not our will, but your will be done. And again, we thank you for everything. Through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.